Hello, everybody, and welcome. Once again, as we continue on in the study we're doing uh, right now through the book of Mark, we're actually studying through the entire New Testament, Lord willing, and unless he comes back before we get finished, which would be fine, because he would give this to you much better than I could. <laughs> um, we are in the fourth chapter of the book of Mark. We, we've, uh, we completed the book of Matthew earlier in the year, and uh, now we're working through Mark, uh, 16 chapters in the book of Mark. Then I'm pretty confident we'll do Luke, and then I think I'm going to skip John and go right into Acts and then come back to John. Um, or I may do John before Luke. I'm not sure yet. To give you all the Gospels, uh, that might be another way to go. Uh, I like reading Luke and Acts together because the same guy wrote them, and they fit nicely. All right? And so uh, it it's kind of ties together with uh, the Gospel account of what Jesus did. And, uh, and then moving right into how the ministry took off from there uh, and the church with the ministry of the disciples or the acts of the apostles. And while we don't add to the Bible or, or at all, um, the book of Acts is sort of, again, hear what I'm saying, um, but it continues in us. We're still living out the book of Acts. We don't add to the canon anymore. We're not writing scripture. But the book of Acts was the acts of the disciples. It was what happened when Jesus went. And you're still a part of that book. Um, so I don't know if you ever think about that. But uh, when we talk about being part of his story, I always think about how we're just uh, carrying on in that whole process. So make sure you've heard what I said. I'm not writing new Bible. <laughs> Pastor Steve says we're still writing the book of Acts. It's written. But we're part uh, of the story. And so it still carries out. So we will get to that. But we're in the book of Mark right now. And the book of Mark, uh, we told you, is written primarily to a Roman audience. And so he jumped right into the story. There wasn't a lot of backstory with Mark. And he, he launched right into sort of the power ministry of Jesus because the Romans were um, interested in and uh, their culture was about power. And so, uh, you know... In this apostle, it was the best way to present the gospel of Jesus. Then was launched right into the authority and the power that Jesus had, and primarily that's what we've been looking at. Uh, and and yet we've been seeing sort of the same results that we saw in the book of Matthew, that uh, Jesus has come and he has challenged the existing religious order because they had sort of lost the point of relationship with God and they had made it about rules and regulations. And Jesus comes and says it's not about that. This is what it's about. It's about a relationship with the living God who loves you and who cares for you and is here for you. And and that's not what the people had been experiencing under um, and up to this point, uh, what they'd been witnessing or as the children of God who were um, supposed to be uh, representing you know, the order in the community that God wanted um, for us all. And they'd, they'd lost track. And remember I said that, that this is something that's very easy to do and we have to be very careful because it's very easy for us to get legalistic and religious. And all of us have a little bit of it. Um, if you think you're free from it, you're not. You've, you've got areas in your life that, that uh, constantly have to be examined because we have picked up things over time and and... You'll get challenged on them. I know I do all the time uh, in my own life. And, um, and so we, we read this, and we always, I always want to say, be careful you don't read it thinking 
that, uh, well, those Pharisees were just not good people because it's not the case. Remember, they started out well, and I'll, I'll repeat this every week while we talk about the Pharisees. They had started with a good mission, which was protect Judaism from being overly influenced by the Greek culture, from being Hellenized. And they had tried to isolate it, and yet what had happened over time was rather than keep it, they had just regulated it. Uh, that was how they, that was their attempt at trying to keep it pure. And the overregulation had taken the love out of the gospel and it left you with a series of rules and, and seemingly a very hard taskmaster representing God. Jesus comes into the scene, begins to call God Father, Abba, Daddy, and, and completely messes everything up. His teaching is, is always, you heard it said, but I say to you, and he's undoing everything. And as he does, he. Uh, basically takes on takes on the, the the system of the Pharisees, and as we've already seen, they're already in the third chapter decided that Jesus needs to go. They're going to kill him. And I, I said to you, the irony is they they're mad at him for healing people on the Sabbath, and yet they're plotting to kill him, which is a far greater violation of the commandments. Uh, and yet, see, in their minds, self righteously, they were doing what needed to be done. And and. That's the tension that we always have to hold as we move into this stuff. All right. So, enough preamble. We're going to read Mark chapter 4 uh, together. Uh, well, I'm going to read it. You can follow along. I can't see out of those, so hang on a second. I can actually read it. Okay, let's see how we do. Well, I've got the big font happening. Mark 4. I'm going to read out of the NIV. That's what's in the in the rows if you want to read along or read along in your translation, and uh, th- that would be great. Or you can read it in your notes. It's in there too. You can see that. Or you can just listen to me read. But I'm reading from Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore, the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And let me just say, I digress from the reading just for a moment. This is the first time Mark begins to uh, incorporate the teaching of Jesus into what he's... Up till now, he's saying Jesus taught stuff, and then he went out and did these things, but he hasn't really talked about Jesus' teaching. We're finally getting into the teaching of Jesus, but we're already into the parable stage. And we'll talk about that in a minute and what that means. Okay, sorry. Uh, He taught them many things by parables, um, verse 2, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, verse 4. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among Thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, 
Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires, the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a 100 times what was sown. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves break over the boat so that it was nearly broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. And blessed be the word of Lord. Now, Mark, like I said, begins to introduce some of the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus begins to teach in parables. And, the, and we'll talk about the parables more in a little bit. Prior to this point, he's been teaching um, without parables, as, as we understand in the book of Matthew. His teaching was very plain. It was very concise. And he not only taught, but he demonstrated that he had authority to straighten everything out, which is what he was trying to do, by the signs and wonders that accompanied his word. And so he came in with the authority of God to straighten everything back to the way it was. And the people who heard him and received from him, um, they, they understood and they would continue to understand as he taught, or he would make sure that they did. There's another group of people, though, who, having heard everything that he said, And having seen everything that he'd done, still chose, they chose to reject him. And at that point, the the teaching shifts. And it's for people who want to hear, not for people that don't want to hear. 
And you need to hold that in context as we read through the parable. Because uh, there's some interesting verses in this stuff that, that we need to talk about. And also, this is one of those chapters that people like to take little bits of this and use it to teach other concepts. Be very careful that, that um, how you approach some of these things. Um, some people take the concept of, of seed producing fruit and use it in, in all sorts of uh, ways. But clearly the parable is stated that the seed that's talked about is the word of God. And the fruit that's produced in our lives is, is the change in our lives that comes from knowing Christ and, and the impact that we have on the kingdom. Um, and the other parables that sort of spring out of that one are, are still hung in context with this main teaching. And so this, this chapter teaches together. It, it fits together. And so, so, you know, hold on to it in, in that context. All right. So Mark starts with the parable of the sower. And... Um, Jesus' teaching is what the, the parable means. is like a sower, like a farmer who's sowing seeds. He's, he's tossing the, it out there. And, and the soil represents the way people receive the word. And there's different types of soil. When Jesus teaches, there's people out there listening, and there's, different, there's some who, who initially receive the word, but they don't have any root at all, and the minute anything sort of comes up, they run away. And listen, this is so good because you'll know every one of these things. Maybe you've been them. Because you can, you know, soil changes. Uh, some of you might not have been great soil initially. I wasn't. And, uh, uh, you know, it, the soil, had to, God had to keep working the soil, I guess, till I was receptive. But maybe in your own life, you've seen people that have sort of, uh, you've, you've told them about Jesus and they got real excited about it. And yet the, the first thing that happened that sort of went, ran a little contrary to where they're going to have to start making maybe a change in their life or do something a little different, they were like, well, I don't want any part of that. I only want it if it's convenient. And trust me, the gospel of, and the good news of Christ is far from convenient. Um, it's the best thing that there is, but it's not convenient. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you lay down your life for his. It, it's worth it, but it's, it's not culturally relevant or accepted or anything. It's, it's, you know, anyway, you know the story. So there's this different soil and the result is different based on the soil so some are like rocky soil and it can't develop roots so as soon as something bad happens it's gone some sort of falls among the thorns and in in that understanding jesus says what happens is that that the concerns of this world and the desires of this world and the the um you know being consumed by what the world wants chokes out the word because it's they're contrary in in a lot of ways it's not that the stuff in the world is bad. See, sometimes I think that we, we get confused too. Stuff in and of itself isn't bad. The only way I know how to, to sort of get a hold of this is, with stuff is this. Um, stuff is good as long as your stuff is serving you. At the point that this change happens where your life all of a sudden is all about serving your stuff, it's backwards. And you'll know what I mean. You're consumed by your stuff. And it takes all your time. There's something wrong with that. As long as it's serving you, great. Stuff, no problem. I mean, then it switches. Because the moment you start serving your stuff, guess what? The Bible's pretty clear. You can't serve God and mammon. Mammon's money, stuff. You can't, can't, you can't serve both. Can't do it. And so as long as your stuff's serving you, you're in good shape. You can serve God. The moment it flips, that's trouble. And so, but we live in a culture that's all about it. 
our, we, serve, it, we, we have to maintain our stuff. And so we have to work more and more and more to maintain the stuff, and it, it gets backwards, right? And so we have to be very careful of that. And that's the concern, the affairs of life. All these things choke out the Word. But fortunately, the, the, the seed, the Word of God, falls on good soil as well, and as it does, it produces a crop. 30, 60, uh, or 100 times what was sown. And, and as you are um, and continue to grow in the Lord and, and God is able to help you fulfill your mission, your purpose, and your plan, uh, this impacts the kingdom. And, and you produce fruit, not only in your own lives, but, but in the way that you impact the lives of others. And so um, this is the explanation of the parable. But there's some stuff that happens in these verses I want to try and explain. And people have asked me questions about a couple of these verses, and so uh, I want to try and get back to them. Verse 11 and 12 is, is a tricky verse because it says in Mark chapter 4, 11 and 12, he told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever hearing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, that seems like a pretty odd verse, doesn't it? So let, let's break it down just a little, and let's see if we can't deal with it maybe a little bit. Remember the context. Jesus has been completely forthright with his teaching and backed it up with the power of God, and yet he's already, people are choosing because it, they don't like how he's doing it and what the impact's going to be on them. They're choosing not to hear it. You've got to hold that in context with these verses. The secret of the kingdom of God. So... The secret of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about, it's common in all these parables of the kingdom, is that God's kingdom, and remember we've talked about God's kingdom at length, which means his rule and reign, that, that the kingdom uh, isn't like a place, because we, we're used to hearing his kingdoms being places. The kingdom in, in the wording in the, the Greek is God's, his kingdom is his rule, his reign, his right, his right to rule and reign. And so it's his rule, his authority. That when you see God's kingdom, that's, you, can, you could substitute that word. Uh, the, God's, God's kingdom, the, the kingdom is here. God's rule and authority is here. His, his, uh, his, his reign is here. And, and so it's, it's that context, not a place. And so if you're thinking of the kingdom as a place, it, it can be confusing, but it's his rule and his reign. And the, the secret is that in Jesus' coming, in him showing up, the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God has been inaugurated. It's started. It's the beginning of what's going to happen. And yet, it's not going to be fully completed until he comes back. See, that's the secret. The problem that everybody has was, and why they were rejecting Jesus, is they didn't like the way that God had decided to bring it to about. They wanted it their way. They wanted a Messiah who would come in and reestablish the political order right then and there. And so when Jesus wasn't doing that, they didn't, and, and all, what he was saying, he was instead of coming in and sort of embracing the religious order of the day, he was like, you guys have it all wrong. We've got to change the entire deal. You got it upside down. I got to flip it back up and get it right. It's not about being served. It's about serving. It's, it's the opposite of everything that you've done. It's not about rules. It's about relationship with God so that people in relationship with God desire to do the right thing they don't do it because you're oppressing them into do it by putting them under rules and regulations he has to change everything and they don't want to hear that and so the secret then of uh, the parables of the kingdom is just that it's being inaugurated in jesus first coming it'll be fully enacted 
when he comes back. Hang on to that whenever you're thinking of a kingdom parable. That's the secret behind it. The kingdom's here now in Christ, but it's not fully here yet. And we live in the tension of the now and the not yet. It's here, but not fully here. We have access to uh, the promises, but not in the way that we will have when Jesus comes back. Faith appropriates all the promises of tomorrow into today. But God's sovereignty, they don't always happen the way we want. It's because sometimes we pray and we see things happen because we're supposed to and, and the results are on God. Sometimes we pray and we don't see the things that we'd like to have happen happen. You've all experienced that. Why? Well, the kingdom's here, but it's not fully here. When we go to God, we say, God, listen, you're gonna, when you come back, you're going to restore everything and make everything right. You, your word tells me you're going to make it all right. And so what I'm asking now, God, is, is because you're going to do it when you come back, would you do it today? And in faith, I can ask him to do that, fully believing that he can do that. That's faith. I expect him to. I, I anticipate him to. And yet if he chooses not to, I'm also okay with that because the kingdom's not fully here yet. I'm in the tension of the now and the not yet. And everything that happens is ultimately on God. It's not on me. I just need to be obedient, like all of you. What's he tell you to do in the Word? Pray for people, care about people, love on people. Demonstrates God's love wherever you can. If someone's sick, you pray for them to be made well, to be healed. You believe in faith that since he's going to heal them, eventually, God, you can heal them today. I'm asking you to heal them now. Sometimes they get healed. Sometimes there's a time that it waits. Sometimes it doesn't seem like they get healed to us. But, you know, ultimately, if you go to Jesus, you, everybody gets healed there, right? may not be what we look for, but it, it happens. Our perspectives are small. God's perspective is eternal. So um, we have all this in, in place, and this is the secret. Now, the disciples were tapped into it, but they didn't fully understand it yet, and we know that because they're always wondering about the greatest, and they're dealing with a lot of issues. We've talked about that. And they, too, their paradigm was they wanted him to become, they wanted him to come as king. But he's teaching them, and they've, they've believed that he is the Messiah, and so the secret... It, it, they know that he's here. They just don't fully grasp it. But, but others have completely rejected the message and the ministry of Christ. Okay. Now, because they've rejected the teaching and the ministry of Jesus, the parables don't make sense to them. Nor do they really want them to any longer. It was their movement that caused these things to take place. And Jesus talks about them... And he quotes the prophet Isaiah in verses 6, 9, and 10. When Jesus says what he says, he's quoting from the Old Testament. This verse, you can write it down, look at it later, Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. May the heart, make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. When Jesus says what he says and what he's quoted, he's, he's speaking from the Old Testament. So the people who heard Jesus were never denied the opportunity to believe, but because they had consistently closed their minds and their hearts to all that Jesus had said and done, they were excluded from the understanding that had been given to the disciples. And it was because of their... Um, they refused to listen and believe that the disciples did. So now the question, well, doesn't God want people to turn and be healed? And the answer is, of course he does. And that's why he sent Jesus. See, he, 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 he made a way. But the people chose not to receive. And, and he'd done what he could do. 
Also hold in context, though, that the, the parables are always there to stir people up to think. And further on in our study in Mark, when we get to chapter 12, you'll see that, that part of the, the reason for the parables is it, it's still, while people are rejecting Jesus, it still puts enough out there that if they really start thinking about it, they'll find their way back in. And that's part of that process. But right now, their hard hearts keep them from Jesus. And that's what we see with it. Their hearts are hardened. And they had every opportunity to have the same fellowship as the disciples and those who believe. Every opportunity was given them. And they choose not to accept it. People do that today, right? I mean, you know people that say, no, forget it. Y'all are, y'all are wacky. And same deal. Verses 21 through 25, a lamp on a stand, is about the kingdom of God now being revealed in Christ. People couldn't see the, the light of God because the, the rules and regulations had hidden it. And yet Jesus is here now and he's, he's brought the light. He's the light of the world. The light has been introduced. It's there. And, and people can come and know what God is all about. And it's not about rules. And, see, the rules and regulations had made it impossible to know God. The early church did the same thing to people. They, they brought in all these rules and regulations and made it impossible for people to know God. You, you only knew Him through the priests. I'm not picking on anything. This is what happened in the Old Testament. People's relationship in the Old Testament had moved back to a place where it only happened through the priests. And, and that's never what God intended. And, and so we have relationship with God. You and I have relationship with God. Your relationship with God is the same as mine. We have the same access in Christ. Verses 26 through 29. In that last verse too, because of that, he's, he goes on and sees always including the Pharisees in this, and they understand enough of it that they get upset with him um, when he does it. Those that have, even what you have will be taken away from you. If you don't get the, the truth of the kingdom, that Jesus has come, even the little bit you're hanging on, you're not going to have because you're missing the whole deal and you can't do it through rules and regulations. The, the, the mustard seed or the growing seed which is a parable in verses 26, 29, it's only in the book of Mark, represents the phases of the coming of God's kingdom. It starts with sowing, and then there's growing, and then there's harvesting. He comes and he sows, and and then he leaves the work on us to continue to sow, and the kingdom begins to grow. And once the kingdom has done what it needs to do, and the impact of God is what it's going to be, he sends Jesus back, the time of the harvest comes. And we're waiting on that time now. We've looked at that in so many different ways. We're in the harvest season, the long summer season, we're waiting for trumpet sound to, to signify the end of the trump, uh, the end of the harvest, and the return of Christ. Mark 4:30 30 through 34, the parable of the mustard seed. The mustard seed, the smallest seed, grows real big, uh, and it's really, they're really, really tiny. Jesus coming, it starts the kingdom in a very sort of unobtrusive way. His entrance into the world in a stable. Uh, he started in a, you know, this was the start of the inauguration of the rule and reign of God among us. And it starts in a simple way in the stable. And yet through his life and ministry and then the ministry of the disciples and the church, it takes off from there. So, so that's that parable. And then um, he ends the chapter with another demonstration of the authority of Jesus. And this time it's over nature, which is pretty significant. And, and uh, you know the story, they're out in a boat and he's sound asleep because he, he's Jesus. And uh, he's not worried about a thing, he's got a ministry. Uh, he's got things to do. And yet the disciples, they haven't figured it all out yet, and they're freaked out about the storm, and they wake Jesus up. And he's like, all right. And, and uh, he goes out, and he, he sort of says to them, guys, come on, we're, we have stuff to do. We're okay. 
And, and he speaks to the, the storm, and it stops. And it says that the, the disciples are, like, terrified of him because they, he's already been doing other stuff, but this is, like, even nature? Who is this? See, they, they know, but they, they're never quite sure. They're, they're getting it all the time. And, and see, it's a direct um, representation of Old Testament God, who had definitely power of nature in Psalm 89, 8 and 9. You can write it down and look at it. Psalm 89, 8 and 9. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. And so Jesus' action was a, just a picture of this God in movement. And so he was cluing in again his disciples as to who he was and how all that worked. And that's Mark chapter 4 in 30 minutes or less. Uh, thank you for paying attention. And um, if you have a prayer request, you can start passing it to me. If you're watching on the video, um, Barry's running up there to turn it off right now. Hi to everybody in Williston. Scott and Pam will pray for you there. If you're watching on the Internet and you need prayer, just send us an email or call us or write us a letter or do something, and we'd be happy to pray for you. But we're going to go ahead and pray for the prayer request here and call it an evening.